Welcome to Too Deep, Hokies Under the Influence. My name is Pete Berthod, and my co-host is Robbie Dowling. Robbie, it's game week, finally. How you feeling? Excited. We, we got a little taste of football this past weekend. With uh, I got some pep in my step now. It was it was a <laughs> tough off season, but I think I got. Uh, I think I'm getting my mojo back here. With uh, after seeing that Miami game, and then I caught a little bit of the Hawaii game. Uh, so I'm I'm ready to rock. Yeah, man. It was a sloppy game, but definitely fun to just be watching football, having some food, some beers, and uh, watching them go at it. Why don't you give us a cheers? Well, I, I never like to do this with very recent uh, news and notes, but we'll hit this in a second. Uh, I'm going to give a not, a, not a positive one, but a cheers to uh, our boy Brock, who just got denied eligibility by one of the worst organizations uh, that um, I have to experience in a, in a day-to-day basis. So the NCA does it again. They are they're just really good at making stupid decisions. So uh, I feel bad for him. He's obviously had uh, a lot going on with his family. So how about a cheers to him? And uh, his recent tweet, if you haven't seen it, is absolutely hilarious. So it's uh, pretty good. I suggest you go out and, and check it out. Um, it was both modest and kind. And then at the same time, just threw a big uh, a big thing of dirt in the NCAA's face. So it was pretty good. Cheers. Yeah, that's not the way you want to start off your week. Looking forward to the game, and we're hoping this whole summer that we're going to get Brock cleared. NCAA does it again. You know, we all had this sneaking suspicion they were going to screw it up yet again. They screwed it up once. They screwed it up twice. And so now Brock can't play, even though he seemed to be moving for noble reasons and something that would be in the guidelines of what the NCAA would allow when players such as Justin Fields and Tate Martell are granted immediate eligibility and someone who's taking care of their mother is not but that's where we are that was one of my first news and notes so we kind of covered that i don't know if you have anything else to say on it we're kind of just beating our head against the wall yeah we are i think this one and i get a little different feeling about it and you know i know a lot of people don't like twitter so i don't want to take you into that whole universe uh, if you're not into it but bruce feldman literally just put out a tweet about it that was pretty powerful if you look at the comments and replies, which usually my suggestion is never do that on anything because it takes you into just the depths of hell. Um, but the replies to Bruce Feldman, to his tweet, a lot, it's from schools all over the nation. Like it, it, it's, it, you can't even find a rhyme or reason. There's plenty of Hokies on there that have, you know, our own team and our own players' best interest in mind. But there are a ton of schools out there just ripping the NCAA, which is not, you know, that, that's surprising, but, um, the uniformity in the support for him and the fact that he didn't get granted, uh, his immediate eligibility is, uh, was pretty astounding considering you, you usually expect going through all those comments for, you know, some Miami fan to just kind of be trolling, but nobody's willing to kind of put themselves out there. Cause I think it's, everybody agrees that, you know, he should be eligible. Yeah, it's terrible. All right, moving on to some news about guys that are going to play. Right after we released our season preview podcast, Like Clockwork, they announced Ryan Willis as the starter maybe hours, an hour before it posted. We were done recording the night before, but hadn't posted the podcast yet. Willis is QB1, something we knew was going to happen all along, and now it's a reality. On top of that, they put out the depth chart. And there were a few things to take note of that. Hoffman wasn't on it to begin with, so we got to see what the offensive line was going to look like without him. Hoyt was at center. TJ Jackson gets the nod at right guard, something we had talked about a bunch of times. No Jaden Cunningham on the defensive side of the ball, defensive tackle. There were three true freshman defensive tackles. They actually named six instead of – it wasn't just a two-deep. It was a three-deep when it came to the defensive tackles and a few other positions. But Fuga – Kendricks and Pollard, all three true freshmen in that two deep behind Crawford, Hewitt, and Porsche. Yes, that's the last <laughs> one. Robert Porsche. I think I'm not sure if you do the French pronunciation or if it's Porsche or Porsche, but he is in there as I guess the third, and then the freshmen are kind of filling in around him. 
Yeah. And then um, I, I didn't take away anything too surprising from it. And I don't know what your, your thoughts were, the, you know, the comments, the responses from people that know even more than, than, um, you know, we do, even though we spend a lot of time, um, you know, the, I think the, the Connor hype train has uh, officially left the building. I, I, you know, there's just kind of some, you know, funny news and notes, but there wasn't anything that kind of blew my hair back other than, um, you know, going back to your, your first comment, every time we put out a podcast, the QB gets announced right afterwards. So we're stale almost, you know, <laughs> hours after it comes out, even though we said definitively that we believed both of us that it was going to be um, Ryan Willis. Yeah, no huge surprises, really. One note I did want to mention was that there were only four seniors on the two deep. And that's something a lot of other people were saying, too, is like, wait a minute. Now everyone's starting to realize this is a very young team again. There's It's just Willis, Floyd, Tyrell Smith, and Javon Quillen. They're the only four seniors on this thing. We have one more senior in Ish Cisse who is not on the two deep, but is a big part of the team and actually links into one of the news and notes we have coming up. But otherwise on the depth chart, no. We, we knew Connor was probably going to be ahead of Ladler there. Ladler was nicked up in the spring. And then you had Harris backing up Hoyt at center, which is something I didn't know who technically was going to be the backup center. Harris would have been a good guess, though. Yeah. And I, I mean, I, I honestly do think it, it's kind of reassuring that the news that we were hearing about Connor then about Robinson actually came to fruition. You see it on the two deep now that it wasn't just speculation or, you know, these guys are, are really good. Uh, it looks like they are going to be very impactful to the team. Um overall so somehow we're getting we're getting news despite closed practices and an inability to actually see the team that is uh you know coming to to fruition yeah i i tweeted out earlier that i feel like the access has been more this fall i don't know if you feel that way and i don't know if it's part of the justin fuente rehabbing the team kind of thing like doing more player interaction things and trying to get more videos out there or maybe wit tapped him on the shoulder i don't know to me it seems like there's more access i don't know if you think there is or not i think i I can't remember and maybe you do if they did those inside access videos last year there's been three i can't say for sure yeah but those are, I think that's excellent. It's a way to, they're not disclosing very much. They film them in a way that doesn't really kind of show anything that obviously Fuente is very concerned about anybody seeing. But you also get to see the athleticism of a lot of the players. You get an inside look at the coaches, which was been, and they picked out, you know, um, with Mitchell. I thought that was really interesting. Um, and listening to them talk, you know, there's not a ton there, but I, I feel like it's more than we got in the past. And I, I may be wrong and we might get corrected that they did those last year or, but they seem like they're, there's more content in those this year. Yeah. I just think there's more content overall. I, I, I don't know. Either way, it makes me happy. The next thing I had was Caleb Smith, Ish Cisse, who I already mentioned and Austin Cannon all earned scholarships. Previously they were walk-ons and especially for Cissé being a senior. I think that's awesome. For Caleb Smith, someone who plays wide receiver, and I had written down but didn't mention in our season preview, he could definitely factor in. And he was on the two deep, which uh, I guess there was – Daryl Simmons was on there too, I think maybe like in an or spot. But Caleb Smith is someone who could contribute, and the fact that they gave him a scholarship in his redshirt freshman year must mean he's made a big impact. Yeah, totally agree. There, there were comments coming out again about you know how good he he's been playing, and um, I love that stuff just in general. You know, you know what I mean. <laughs> you could probably, other than somebody that might have like reputation issues or something, you know, something that went wrong. Anybody getting scholarships on the on the team, which is I love that stuff, and, and I'm a softie for it. Uh, but for him, and then seeing him come up on the two deep. I think it's pretty exciting uh, for the VT program. Yeah, at, at the wide receiver position, it was Trey Turner. Right underneath him was Caleb Smith, and right under that was Daryl Simmons. So there was no or, but there were three wide receivers listed in that one slot. Uh, I think that was it, other than I did have the ACC Network launch. Uh, I know you uh, you don't you don't have the ACC network no, in your not, household not yet. Still yeah. waiting. Over it's here. probably not a good sign, as uh, many alluded to, that uh, Whit Babcock uh, changed his provider. 
Uh, something <laughs> tells me he probably knows a little bit more about uh, how that's going than us, but you know who knows. Uh, I listened, or sorry, I watched uh, the Huddle Show, which I was really excited about. I think it's I think it's pretty good. It's all ACC focused, so that was that was kind of exciting. I don't have to watch a bunch of schools. I hear about all the schools on the national podcasts that I I listen to all the time. So you know, having a show that's solely dedicated to the ACC was really nice. Um, the graphics, I think, on there are pretty awesome. I think they're doing a good job with with that side of it. Um, it's getting, you know, I think it's, I think it picked off relatively well. We'll see what happens this upcoming weekend. Yeah. The thing I'll say on my end is that I'm going to the Boston College game. I'm out of town the next two weekends, and I watch almost every game in a bar anyway. So I'll be just fine whether or not I was thinking about it after the fact. It's like, I don't need, I don't want, I haven't watched a game at home in so long. And I might be unique in that. Cause I just love drinking in a bar, but, but uh, yeah, I'll be fine. Even if I, my TV at home doesn't get it. Cause I'll just be out watching the games. Uh, I did actually forget something. It was Reggie Floyd will be wearing the number one this year. And that was a new honor that was voted on by the players and actually was brought to Fuente by the players. And I think it was Tyrell Smith and Ishise, those two of our five seniors. And they voted a couple of times, Fuente said, throughout the offseason. And Floyd ended up winning it. And so now he gets to wear number one for the year. Yeah. And I, I thought it was uh, interesting and that uh, Fuente was against the idea initially because there has been a little bit of pushback from the fan base and just saying, we already have the 25. Do we really need to do this? You know, like the turnover chain and now the turnover rings or whatever. Yeah. You know, at what point does, you know, it gets too gimmicky. You like, just got to play football at some point. Yeah. yeah. Um, but he was, he actually pushed back on it a little bit is what I saw and I read, but uh, eventually he agreed to, to do it because the players wanted it. So uh, just kind of another sign that ties into the whole, we're trying to, you know, really rebuild the culture and the program. It's player voted. I think it's it's a good sign in in that respect. Uh, it, it's not something that's getting pushed from the coaches onto the players. It was getting pushed from the players onto the coaches. Yeah, that was the cool part about it. I thought as well. And like you said, we're turning it around. Like, okay, this is a coach I could play for. He'll hear player ideas and take them into account and. Like t- tell us to work on them, bring them back to them, and they they made it better. And it's pretty it's pretty awesome honor for Floyd to have have your not just your coaches but your teammates. You know, want to honor you in this way. Very cool. Our pick'em. It is set up on CBS Sports. A lot of people have signed up. We're pumped about it. CBS is being a little weird because they aren't kicking off their pick'em until week one of the NFL. Even though we're doing college games they don't have it set up yet. And me and Robbie are both frustrated about the whole thing, but it'll be week two of the college football season. Our pick them will start. You'll pick the games we pick. If you haven't signed up, you can still sign up. We got like 28, 30 people in there right now. So we're pumped about it and we will pick the games and we're able to set the lines. So whatever lines we pick on the podcast, you'll be picking the same lines. There will be no discrepancies or very, very few discrepancies. Yeah. Apologies to everybody. Excited that that many people signed up. I I was trying to find one where we could set the line ourselves so that it would match up and it would kind of tie into the the podcast. Um, and uh, they did not disclose the fact that they would be pushed back a week so it would align with the NFL. So obviously the tech folks over at CBS are doing a great job because you know why that is. They just want one system that's running both NFL and yeah. <laughs> and college at the same time. They couldn't actually figure out how to you know bifurcate their systems. That said, it'll be week two, and I promise whoever wins will get a white claw, maybe a couple white claws or something along those lines. That's, yeah, we got to come up with a prize for some. For yeah. the, well, at the very least, we'll we'll send you a couple koozies, but we'll try to think of something throughout the year to get first place something. Yep. So the last thing I wanted to talk about was we got a question from someone on Twitter, Rob Hahn. He asked us, what do you think will be the top five highest impact players of our 2019 recruiting class this season? And... So if we're going to go by the whole recruiting class, we can go JUCOs and freshmen because they're part of the recruiting class. So I think number one would have to be Deshaun Crawford just because he's a starter at defensive tackle, which was a huge position of need. 
who do you think would be another big impact? But besides Crawford, who's the next one on the list? Do you think? I'm gonna have to go back to my notes on that one. You're gonna have to. You're, I, I put this one in my last. Well, I'll put set some. Of notes. How about I give you a few ideas? Yeah. So the ones me. that I had that I'm kicking around would be Robinson, Kendricks, King, Pollard, and Nestor. So I had uh, I found my notes from last time because I actually put it in my last set of notes. So ranking for me, which is going to be sad for a moment, but I had Robinson, Hoffman, and if cleared, now we know he's not. Uh, Keyshawn King, Cunningham, uh, and Nestor. Those were my five that I wrote down. So um, sorry, and you I was might not have wrote notes. down Crawford because initially I didn't either because I didn't like. I guess I thought he was a starter and he's not a freshman, so I like didn't really think about it. But yeah. He was in the recruiting class, so Crawford has to be number one. But I think right behind him is is Tavion Robinson just because of how big of an impact he could have. King I would maybe put third because he could end up being almost a starter by the end of the year, but it's just hard to say. So I put Kendricks next because I just think Kendricks at that defensive tackle position is also going to take a lot of snaps. I, I like it. We're giving, we're giving different answers, so I uh, that's a good thing. Yeah, and I think Nestor you have to throw in there, but I, you know, I, him and Pollard and Fuga, like I, I don't know, we have so many offensive linemen. Maybe the DTs would actually make a bigger impact. Yep. Okay, let's hop into Boston College before we take a beer break, real quick. Boston College is a team that over the summer, I, I was looking at who they lost, and they replaced their defensive coordinator, and they replaced their offensive coordinator, and. Lots of guys to the NFL, four guys in the draft, another nine or ten undrafted free agents, and they were only seven and five last year. Their bowl game was canceled due to weather. That made me feel really good. And in June and July, I had talked about on here, like, we should win that game by double digits. Like, that's what I was feeling. I'll get to how I feel at the end, but it's starting to shift just in some of the research I've done on the team. And I don't know whether the Boston College players or their media or the magazines are too high on them. They feel pretty good about what they have on the field. Yeah, I was worried. I was part I think you and I have reversed polls here. We had a, you know, we had a polar shift. Uh, north went to south, south went to north. Uh, and I, I was actually more worried without having done a lot of research on them. And now that I've done some research in particular about one position group that I will get into, um, not to not to jump to it. I think I feel better now um, in probably about 80% of the position groups and matchups and things like that. And I'm even more scared about the other, if not more scared about the 20%. So I think uh, I'm, I'm waffling now between feeling better better but then always so knowing that it's the first game of the year things are going to be sloppy and that gets me really worried yeah so last year like i said they were seven and five they were 63rd in the s&p we actually finished ahead of boston college in the s&p plus at 55 despite the fact that we lost to them in our own house by 10 points this year the projected s&p plus is 72 the Phil Steele power pole puts them at 60 and Athlon puts them at 61 right in the middle of the pack. In terms of FBS, there's 130 teams. They're on the top half, but just barely. If you look at who they lost though, you could make the argument that that projected S and P of 72 is probably closer to what they should be. Uh, Athlon and Phil Steele being a little bit higher. Michael Walker at wide receiver, Tommy Sweeney Lindstrom was a top 15 pick in the draft couple other offensive linemen, Zach Allen, they're all everything, defensive end, Wyatt Ray, Ray Smith, two more defensive linemen, Connor Strahan, Hamp Cheevers, and Will Harris. All of those guys were seniors. <laughs> like they, yeah. I think Cheevers might have been a junior, but everyone else was a senior. They, they lost so much veteran leadership, and I told you they put 13 to 14 guys on rosters and training camps in the NFL. So how does a team that goes – that win seven games every year, lose 14 guys, and still expected to be in the top half of FBS. I find that difficult to believe. I fully agree with you, and that's why they're they're a little bit confounding in terms of understanding what they're going to put on the field, which in 
sometimes you're excited about that. And sometimes you're a little bit worried and I'm a little bit mm-hmm. worried about not knowing what they're going to put out there. Um, mm-hmm. because you know that they're going to have some size, you know, that they're going to play physical, you, you know, all of the, all of the quintessential Adazio things in his dudes that we always joke around about, but are fundamentally true. Um, especially with regard to like their linebacking core and, and, um, offensive line, even though they, they're going to be t- bringing out a bunch of, uh, fresh starters this year. I, I don't know how it makes me feel. I almost liked it better when we knew all of the guys that were coming back from junior to senior year, because at least we had known quantities on the field that we had seen play previously. And now it's a, it's a quite a bit of fresh blood. Yeah, no, it really is. And especially on the defensive side of the ball. And I think, do you want to start with offense or defense? I kind of want to start with, um, let's start. I'm going to mix it up. Actually. I was going to go one direction. Let's start with defense because there's a big point to be hit on the offense that you and I were not in contention about, but we're, I think we may have a different level of anxiety about how much of an impact it could happen have on this game. Okay. So the defense was the one I just said. They they lost more than the offense, pretty much significantly more, especially in the defensive back position. Eight of their top 12 tacklers are gone. Two Their two leaders in tackles for loss are gone. 15 of their 18 interceptions are gone. So <laughs> they've got a lot to replace in terms of on-field production. They And they might do okay at it. One thing BC always seems to have is linebackers. And this year is really no different. It's the only position where they're bringing back three guys that have played a bunch in Isaiah McDuffie, Max Richardson, and John Lamont. They also had a pretty promising freshman, Vinny De Palma. McDuffie is a little nicked up. He, I'm not sure if he played all of spring or what, but he's still kind of dealing with a knee issue. And if he doesn't play, that would actually benefit us quite a bit. Uh, but if he does play, he runs kind of their whole defense, 85 tackles last year, second on the team. Max Richardson had 76 tackles, nine tackles for loss. They're, they're both very, very good players. It's the defensive line and the DBs where they're going to be susceptible. Yeah, it, and to hit the high-level point, uh, Adazio is was, was always thought of as an offensive-minded coach, and it, it, I think one of the – you know, previews came out pretty pointedly and said that on offense, they've been like near a hundred over the last four seasons and their defense is ranked in the twenties on S and P plus. It's the complete opposite of what you would expect, obviously due to Adazio bringing in some pretty stellar uh, defensive coordinators uh, over that time period, but it, it hasn't been what you would expect from that, that team. McDuffie, if he's healthy, scares me. I think Richardson has has had a pretty breakout uh, offseason thus far, and he's a name that a lot of people in, in the Boston College uh, fan base are talking about. I, I just I can't bring myself to ever question their linebacking core. It's been good for so many years now yeah. um, consistently and regardless of, of who they lose. So then you immediately start to look to, you know, what is – what is gone? I mean, yeah, you brought up Connor, Zach Allen, Wyatt Ray, their whole secondary, it seems like, is all gone. Uh, I think the defensive backfield, I think they only bring back Brandon Sebastian at cornerback. And then I think it's Madaya Strack and uh, Mike Palmer are going to be like the, the, the guys that at that position. But there are a lot of replacements in what has been the reliant force of this Boston College team to get to that seven wins every single year. Yeah. In addition to the linebackers, they've had a very strong secondary with Lucas Dennis and Harris and all those guys. Uh, Brandon Sebastian's a good player, and I think they're really relying on him to like shut down one half of the field because they don't have a lot of experience or virtually no experience other than him at corner. What I'm pumped about for Virginia Tech is their defensive line hasn't been this susceptible in years. With no Zach Allen and no Wyatt Ray, like the only guy coming back is Tanner Carafa, and he's pretty good, but without those guys drawing attention, 
how good is Carafa going to be? You can look really good playing next to three seniors. When you have to play all by yourself with two, with three sophomores, how's it going to look? So I think our offensive line should be able to, even without Hoffman, impose their will a bit on this team. And Fuente keeps saying how happy he is about Holston and McLeese and how they looked. And yes, we're very skeptical about the running backs, but hey, against this team, we should be able to get some yards on the ground. They... I know that the linebackers will be there, and, and Richardson, you're you're right on on that. He seems like he's going to be a stud, another one. But I I think that we're going to get some rushing yards, and with the, those DBs, Willis should also have a nice day. Yeah, I agree. And not to bring in the game yet, because I do want to talk about it a little bit later on, but when it's game one, this this doesn't usually happen. An ACC opponent, game one, you know, this has implications uh, on ACC overall, that's a lot of pressure to put on some young guys, um, and they're not returning that many starts. So I couldn't agree with you more. I think the defensive line and the ability for our offensive line, which should be, you know, knock on wood, very, very improved, um, and not even improved, just, I guess, advancing on what they did last year, I think that's going to be a big difference maker and giving Ryan Willis time, especially with a lot of the things that are coming out in, in, in Ryan Willis's ability to make reads. It gives him a game. If we can have some stability there to, um, to, to really just kind of look downfield and actually make the right throws. Let's take a quick beer break before we switch over to offense. Robbie, what are you drinking? So I'm drinking the trip leader, uh, Dippa double IPA. This is from uh, Union uh, out of Union Craft Brewing out of Baltimore, Maryland. And uh, the can, we joked around right before we we did this. I I almost can't read. It's supposed to be like trippy. And it's got a, you know, if you were were using all sorts of things that were illicit, then you wouldn't be able to kind of see. And the can's kind of all over the place. It's all messed up. And I almost couldn't read it. I spent a long time looking at it. And then I was about to look it up online. But I think you and I both agreed that it actually does say trip leader, which is unfortunate because it's a delicious double IPA. I was blown away. I was actually really surprised. I went into it thinking, all right, this is kind of a try hard can this is probably making up for the fact that the beer is not very good and it's a delicious double ipa out of baltimore and i almost feel bad because most people that have it probably don't know how to you know tell their friends about it you kind of judged a book by its cover there and it backfired on you i did i did (laughs) and i'm glad i did because now i get to you know enjoy this delicious beer what are you having over there i am having the long trail brewing VT IPA. <clears throat> yeah, VT IPA is what I said. It, technically, the VT is for Vermont, but the can says VT IPA on it. And so it's it's perfect for what I'm doing right now. And since the game's in New England, this is in New England style. They call it Green Mountain Haze. Um, it's delicious. It's a very good beer. I've, I've had a couple of long trail beers. Never been very impressed, but this one is really tasty. And I guess the... Uh, if you're doing a New England style IPA and you're from New England as a brewery, you should be uh, should be nailing it. <laughs> long Trail is old school for those that have been drinking craft beers for for a long time. They they go way back, and I, I 100% agree with you. Normally, their a lot of their beers are um, before people started really getting inventive and coming up with new flavor profiles were kind of straight down the middle. So it's good to see that they pivoted a little bit and now have something. I'll have to try and find that. I don't know if I've seen yeah, it. Yeah, like I said, the only reason I bought it is because it said VT IPA on it and it just so happens to be good. And the can's a really nice looking can too. It's got kind of like a Vermont license plate, green. And I don't know, I, I like it a lot. It's, it's tasty, 6% alcohol, VT IPA. All right, let's do offense. And as you said before, Adazio has been known to have that hard nose running offense, and yet his defenses have been stronger for quite some time, it seems like, at BC. Scott Leffler is finally gone, no longer the offensive coordinator. They replaced him with a guy that I, I can't pronounce his name. He came in from the Bucks, But from what I understand, their system really isn't going to change very much. 
they more so brought this guy in because he worked with Jameis Winston and he's kind of a quarterback guy. Yeah, I'm not out to make fun of anybody and I don't mean to get too far off topic, but the comments from people about Scott Loeffler at Bowling Green have been intense. People are... (laughs) And, and and these aren't these are like you know these are the Bruce Feldman types of the world that are talking about how bad they think that could be and they brought in um, I'm blanking on his name the terrible defensive coordinator that but anyway he's gone so we'll see what ends up happening um, Brian Van Gorder yes that is <laughs> you you hit it on the head Bowling uh, Green is so screwed like yeah, they, uh, <laughs> yeah it's, whether it's Godfrey or uh, the guys at the cover two. Braden Gall, like, they're all just like, why did Scott Leffler get a head coaching job? What did he ever do in his career? Like, the two years at Temple with Adazio apparently have paved the way. And the fact that he coached Tom Brady uh, when he was, a, like, a grad assistant at Michigan, he's been living off that for, I've got Tom Brady's cell phone number in my phone. And, <laughs> like, and then, that, and then bringing in, it would have been, like, it, it was already not, like, a great situation, especially for a, a, a team like Bowling Green. But then when he went Van Gorder, everybody was like, what are you yeah. doing kind of yeah. situation. Anyway, that's just to make people laugh a little bit about our our history and our past. But that that is, um, it's been an it's anomaly. Also BC's past now. <laughs> yes, exactly. But BC, yeah, just like all the uh, all the Auburn fans warned us about him, and then now we warned all the uh, BC fans, and they're going to warn all the Bowling Green fans. It's just like you know, you pay it, you pay it forward. So, <laughs> so. Um, I I hundred percent agree, and that's why I brought it up. I think it's the 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 hard nosed kind of offense. It's it's been looking a lot more like a hard nosed defense under Adazio. Um, outside, I would say of I, the run game has looked good. I mean, he's had uh, in his past four years. I think he's had two. You know, preseason, preseason Heisman candidates that have have been on the team from a running backs standpoint. So I wouldn't say that it's um, not gone the direction that he wants. It's just never panned out, if that makes sense. It's just never, you know, that he's got he he does recruit really good running backs. He puts together a really good offensive line, but things always end up going sideways. I think for the for the team. Yeah, well, they haven't won more than seven games in 10 years. So, yes, they, what is it? And uh, Williams a few years back, and now yep. they have A.J. Dillon, who ran for 1,500 yards two years ago and 1,100 last year in a banged-up season. But, yeah, it's never come all together. They've never had the quarterback and the running back, at least not in the last decade, all at once, all playing at a high level. And this year, that's what they're hoping for. And that's why maybe – the preseason rankings and BC feeling itself a little bit is because of that. They feel confident Anthony Brown's going to take another step forward. He's now a redshirt junior, a little bit of a dual threat. Uh, Not really, but he can run and, and hurt you only one rushing TD last year. So it's not like this isn't Lamar Jackson, but he does have legs and he can run a little bit. Uh, 2,100 yards passing 135 rating Nothing super special. His QBR, nine points less than Ryan Willis. Uh, he was 55th last year. Willis was 36, just to put a frame of reference on it, in the country. He was up and down. He was awful versus Purdue, Temple, NC State. Better against Louisville. Pretty good against Miami. and But just average down the stretch. He got hurt in the Clemson game, so you didn't really get to see him in that game. We kind of all wanted to see. That was when BC had game day. They were seven and two at that point. They lost their last three games. Yeah, he had the hand hand injury, which obviously impacted it. I'm never going to fault a guy for you know an injury and what that's going to end up doing to your season. Uh, Anthony Brown is probably the biggest question mark I have um, for this team. Other than, I mean, we talked about the defensive line a little bit and what that's going to actually look like. Other than being a lot of green players. I don't know what to make of Anthony Brown. You know, he has, from all accounts, a good amount of upside, not a tremendous, a good amount of upside. I think he could be a consistent, really good quarterback, but I'm not 100% sure that I have my arms around what he can do. And there's some games that he looks elite, like really, really good. 
Um, I think one of his games, and granted, it's all opponent adjusted, right? So one of his games, I think he went five touchdowns, zero interceptions, and then other games and towards the end of the season when he was injured, not so great. So that for me is the biggest question mark for this BC team. Yeah, well, he inflated his stats is, is what you were I was nicely kindly saying. saying. Yes, yes. <laughs> Versus UMass and Wake. He had nine touchdowns. He only had 21 touchdowns the whole year. Nine of them came against UMass and Wake. So we need to take that into account. Yes, he did get a little nicked up, but this is an average quarterback. Maybe he takes a step, but we'll see. So much of it depends on the wide receivers, which have a lot of questions, and on how good of a season a rebuilt offensive line with A.J. Dillon has. And A.J. Dillon, we know what he's going to do. Like he, He's a tough runner. When fully healthy, he doesn't go down. He's six foot 250, uh, just an absolute monster. Ten touchdowns in ten games last year. Six, like almost 1,600 yards. I said 1,500 earlier, but it was really closer to 16 and 14 TDs in 2017. And they have good backups. So not only is running back strong at the top with Dylan, but Bailey and Travis Levy, who went for 75 yards and two touchdowns on us last year, they're both back. Levy kind of is a, I don't want to, I don't want to give him this much credit, but kind of a Brian Westbrook in that he can be a receiver out of the backfield as well as a, a very dynamic runner. He can, he's, they list him as a running back slash wide receiver, and they do the same thing with Ben Glines. Yeah. So, and he's on the two deep. As, he's on the two deep as a wide receiver as well. I mean, it's, it's, okay. Yeah. Yeah. They, they, he is, he is f- fully capable of doing both of those things, but he, he scares me a lot because that also spells, you know, AJ Dillon a little bit, and it might give him some breathing room, which is not a good thing for us. You and I have gone back and forth, I think. And we've probably pivoted, you know, past each other. It's like ships in the night on AJ Dillon and what that means. And you can't you can't just look at BC without looking at Virginia Tech. And what is our biggest concern right now for Virginia Tech? It's the defensive line. So that is frightening to go up against that kind of monster when he is healthy. I don't think there's anybody with a pulse that would really doubt how good. He is, and we're getting him game one without getting a lot of reps to the defensive line that is really thin. I think that is a very important part of what's going to end up happening here against BC is how healthy is he, which it's by all accounts, it sounds like he's he's totally ready to go, and how quickly can Bud Foster adapt to what they're doing with A.J. Dillon in the backfield Otherwise, he if he's like getting seven yard chunk plays on every run, this is going to be a long game. Yeah, let's round out the other positions on offense before we kind of sum up our thoughts. And wide receiver, I said that I, it's going to be it's got question marks. Kobe White could be all ACC first, second, or third team. He's very good. 500 yards, three touchdowns, just three touchdowns last year, actually, and only 33 receptions, but he was their top receiver. So that kind of shows you the offense that VC's putting on the field. They don't pass it that much, but Kobe White is good when he gets the football in his hands. Jeff Smith, Sweeney, and Michael Walker are gone. Kind of went over that. They've got this kid coming up, Zay Flowers, which from what I've read in the articles, he's like our Tavion Robinson. Quick slot guy, true freshman, been making a ton of noise will probably be their return man as well literally it's like the, the two spider-mans is, is zay flowers and tavion robinson pointing at each other uh so that's someone that could be a little scary and then cj lewis is a big target for them maybe six three six four but he had some drop issues last year ultimately with questions at quarterback questions at the wide receiver position it's pretty apparent what we need to do against bc and that's do everything possible to limit the run and make Brown and the receivers beat us. How easy that is depends on BC's offensive line. And while they did lose three starters, they 
gained two grad transfers and they kind of had a guy who started half the season. So this is a pretty good offensive line. I, I liken it to ours in that we lost three starters as well, but a lot of the VT fan base feels maybe even better about the offensive line. I think that's how the BC fan base feels as well. Yeah. The, the, on the wide receiver front, I think unless there's something I don't, I did Ben Glines and Noah Jordan Williams look decent uh, from everything that, that I was reading up on them. Um, and Noah Jordan Williams wasn't on the field much last year, but I think he was pretty productive when he was out there at the wide receiver, wide receiver position. The other thing I think is the tight ends, you know, I think we go through this and as we talk, I kind of almost, you know, get my head wrapped around itself, but they always seem to produce really good tight ends. That's like, true. I, and um, that can go a long way. They have a sophomore Hunter Long, uh, looks like he's going to be the guy this year. They got a Penn State transfer, Danny Dalton, um, who's supposed to be pretty talented. Granted, he's a he's a transfer. And the, on the offensive line, as you mentioned, um, they have Tyler Vrabel, and he's gotten a lot of hype. Granted, he's a redshirt freshman. It's going to take him time to develop, so I think that is a positive for Virginia Tech. Uh, but uh, Petrula is back. He was an all ACC honorable mention last year, which, um, but he's only one of the five returning on the offensive line. So I think you're, you're spot on in, in the sense of the offense, it's a mixed bag. And I don't know that in game one, though they have talent, not a ton of talent, but a decent talent, how it's all going to coalesce on the field. Yeah, with the tight ends, one thing to note is BC plays two tight ends almost all the time. So the fact that they don't have Tommy Sweeney, that's a huge benefit for us because he he was he messed us up last year for sure. Yep. And they got to replace him. They have guys, Hunter Long, you already mentioned, Idrizzy, Garrison, Burt. None of them caught – Idrizzy was the only one that caught an averaged one catch a game. So no one was affecting the game other than blocking, really, uh, in terms of catching. So I don't know how much these guys are going to get out wide, how much they're going to stay in and have to block, but they've got capable guys. But again, an NFL talent like Sweeney, who's been tearing up the preseason as well for the Bills, I'm glad. I mean, again, BC lost so much, more on average than they ever lose to the NFL. And this is they haven't been recruiting – even close to our level, let alone like the top programs that if a top program lost all this, you'd be like, Hmm, kind of like, are they going to be able to reload all that? And then you're talking about BC. So I'm not trying to disrespect BC. I'm just saying like, if we lost this many guys, I would be gravely concerned for Virginia tech and they don't seem very concerned. So I don't know whether that's scary or they're being naive. (laughs) Yeah. I, I, I would also tie that into, um, a thought that I've always had about BC never really articulated well enough is I don't think a lot of the recruiting groups do much work in looking at people that they recruit out of because there's just such more limited talent. Like, like 24 seven wants to make sure they get their Miami guys for like the, who's going, who's coming out of Florida, who's coming out of Texas, who's coming out of California and Georgia. Those have to be good, right? That's where they spend the majority of their time. And I think Adazio just has a way of plucking guys that are a little bit off the radar. Um, so, yes, they haven't been recruiting like crazy. I also think that at some of those schools, it's kind of like the K-State in terms of how Snyder did it forever. He, all he took was transfer. It was like transfers and JUCOs, and he put together amazing teams off of it. And everybody was just bewildered about how that was actually possible. And it's because nobody was paying attention to what he was pulling in. So I, I, I don't like to go too far down that rabbit hole with a school like BC because I mean, hell Rutgers was good. What was that? Seven years ago, eight years ago. And they were pulling only New Jersey kids. Granted, that's a decently fertile recruiting ground, but I just don't think those areas get a lot of look. And then sometimes that's actually kind of, beneficial because you're plucking guys that nobody else is really paying attention to. Yeah, that's, that's a good point. And you're right that like on Saturday, none of the who's recruited better than who matters and who, who lost who or whatever it's, it's let's play the game and see what happens. So let's get to our, 
overall thoughts and keys to the game. Let's go back and forth on this a little bit so it's a little bit more interactive. I think my key to the game is one, trying as best we can to shut down Dylan. And then two, I'm not going to walk away with this from this game with any sort of uh, indictment or longstanding thoughts on what the defensive backfield is because I think they're being put in a really unique situation against a really you know difficult running back that the linebackers are going to have to end up solving for that problem given the, the the thinness that we have on the defensive line. So I guess in a weird way, it's not a freebie, it's not a pass, it's not any of those things, but I'm not going to walk away that concerned if things open up a little bit more in the backfield because I do think that, um, you know, if A.J. Dillon really gets on his game, he could cause serious problems for us. That was my initial thought when I was sitting around really kind of in my own headspace today. Yeah, you're, you're saying that because he could open up so he could open up so much of the game for the for the pass game that you might have to put those corners a little bit more on islands than you would like to, and then they could end up getting burned. Really, for me, this game comes down to our linebacker play because the D-line does need help. You've got to gang tackle this massive running back. So Ashby and Dax and Connor, which I love Connor for this game because you need someone who, when he hits you, you feel it. And because it might take more than just him, but I just really love the fact that he's our whip for this game. I think that's going to be immensely valuable. And and Dax just going up against a big guy like A.J. Dillon, it's going to be sweet to watch. We need those guys to step up. The linebackers have to have an outstanding game for us to win. And and if they do step up, I I think the safeties and the corners, they have their own you know run gap assignments and stuff. I think they'll be fine. I, I think they're going to be fine. Focus on A.J. Dillon. Limit him. Limit Levy. Limit Bailey, whoever they're going to run out of the backfield. We lost by 10 last year. Keep that in mind. Our team was terrible. Like We, we had a terrible year in fighting. We lost by 10 as the youngest team in the ACC. I know we were at home, but still. They were one of the most veteran teams in the country. And we were in that game up until like the end of the third quarter. We were playing them really tough. That that was the game Kearney had an outstanding game because Ashby was hurt. We have the better quarterback. We're probably better at them than every position except running back. If you were to just match them up, you could make a case here here or there. But you kind of hinted at that earlier. Like we're probably better about 80% of the positions. Yeah, it's all but running back, I I would have to say. So... Can we match their toughness? Can we be as physical as them? Can we play as a team? Because that's really the differentiator here. Yeah, and I, I think, you know, I, I, I can just imagine this game. Remember the old, well, I say I can say the old because he's gone now. The old Georgia Tech games where it just got so slow, right? And if they're reliant that much on the run game, but they're still pulling off three-yard chunks every run, it's just going to slow down so much. How does Willis and the wide receivers react to not having as much time? We we have never seen Fuente in that type of atmosphere perform well, where the game slows down and it gets stretched out and you don't get as many possessions. And and I'm not saying that they're they're running a triple, you know, <laughs> it's just the that kind of game doesn't really suit us as well. And sometimes I feel as though we react to it more than we should just be saying, well, screw it. We're just going to play our own game. And you start protecting the, the football too much. And then you stop seeing the reads that you're supposed to, the passes that you're supposed to. That's probably my primary concern. It's not whether Dylan's going to, haul off a bunch of 25 yard runs. It's whether he's going to haul off 24 yard runs, you know what I mean? Just repeatedly. Um, That has me concerned. I think our offensive line is better than theirs by far. And that should give Wills the time he needs. And I don't know if this is a key to the game. It's more just excitement of not knowing. I'm excited to see what we do at running back. And, and it's a question mark, but 
I think it's a fun one for me. Uh, it's a negative for everybody, but it's a fun one just to see what what we have back there. And I may well be licking, uh, you know, bruised paws come come Monday. But that's that's kind of something that I'm excited to see. I think could be important if that looks good. I think there's a there's a lot of upside for for this team. So I don't like taking too much away from week one, but. We have a lot, we have a lot of questions that can be answered against this BC team. So for better or for worse, we have a matchup that I think is going to answer a lot of questions for us as a program in that week. Yeah, man, it's it's this game is for BC for us. It's it's a big game. It's a really big game. I think Willis is going to have a good day passing the ball. Our wide receivers should provide like a lot of matchup problems for them. Like they're really going to have time, a hard time covering Trey and Hazleton and Grimsley and Robinson. It's, it's going to be a long day for their defensive backfield. And if Willis is making his throws, I think we'll be fine. The other thing, two mini keys would be Fuente is three and O in his openers at Virginia tech, two of which were not in lane. So we're kind of used to this going away from home on the first week playing in a very big game and coming out the victors. So I'm hoping they can do it for the third year in a row. We did it at WVU. We did it at FSU. And now we got to go up North and do it. I'd also say the special teams could be a key just because Michael Walker was such a big player for them on special teams last year. And they ranked 118th in the S and P plus in their special teams last year. And we were pretty good. I, we not as good as we normally are, but with Shabest and what we've been hearing about the special teams this year and our kickers, I think we have an advantage in that regard. So we'll see. But Fuente in these openers and just his his ability as what we would consider the big games, he does kind of usually coach a pretty good game. Like it's it's the games that you're not that you think you're gonna win by three touchdowns that he's had problems with. You know what I mean? It's it's the big ones. He usually comes to play. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. I'll also be interested to see if there's a lot of energy after mistakes on the sideline amongst the defense and knowing how that unit is operating is is also going to be very interesting because there's bound to be a mistake, two, three, four, whatever the case may be. All right, so let's talk about the line on the game and the line on the other the other games of interest for the weekend. Virginia Tech at BC. Virginia Tech is a four and a half point favorite as of today. When this line came out over the summer, it was two and a half, maybe yeah. even one and a half. It was it was low. I think it started uh, at two and a half. And even you when you gave it to me a week or however many days ago, it was at three. It's, yeah, it's, it's moved, moved a- quite a bit in the last couple days. And now it's at four and a half. And so I remember when I first saw the line in July and I, I'm I'm thinking about the game and I'm like, yes, we're going to win that game easy first game. And I look at the line. I'm like, oh, crap. Like, <laughs> what what does what does Vegas know that I don't know? And then obviously a lot of other betters have felt that same way because we've seen the line move up to full points in just a couple of days. So who are you taking on this line? What were your initial thoughts on the line? Well, I wrote down my notes when I got your your initial line. So it's moved a point and a half since then from three to four and a half. That, that really screwed a lot of things up for me because I was, I was just banking on the field goal. Um, do I think we're going to go up to chestnut Hill and win by more than that? I, I honestly, I think I do. I, I think in this game, the difference is going to end up being, and I know I talked about a lot of things that were keys to the game. I think the difference is going to be what Ryan Willis and the receivers are able to do. And I'm not sure that BC is going to be able to contain that. Like you might be able to contain Trey. You might be able to contain, you know, Grimsley. Like you can kind of go down the line, but eventually, and you don't even get to the tight ends. I mean, with Keen, there's just a lot of damage that you can do as long as Willis is making smart passes. And I think with the full off season, almost a full year under his belt, 
I think he'll make the smart passes this year, and that is what could lead this to be a 10-point game. I'm going to take Virginia Tech as well. I thought it would be double digits in the summer, and although what I've heard and everything, like it does scare me a bit, and when it gets closer and closer, you start to get a little bit more scared as well. And same thing happened to me against FSU. Same thing happened to me against WVU. So that gives me the confidence that we're going to go out there and we're going to cover even those four and a half points. I felt better when it was at two and a half, but I, f- I still feel good at four and a half. Let's move to UVA going to Pitt. Opening weekend again, conference game. UVA is two and a half point favorites over Pitt. This one was funny because Pitt actually started out as the favorite <laughs> by one point, and now UVA is a two and a half point favorite. Yeah, everybody's like, yeah, Vegas doesn't react to the hype. I think Vegas reacted to the hype a little bit. I, This is one that I'm willing to chalk up as like a loss in, in terms of not getting it right. I will give UVA one game to actually see if the hype is real. I do believe Bryce Perkins is very, very good. Uh, um, I believe that they do have some studs on defense. I also think that Pitt's going to put out a pretty good defense and they're going to cause some problems. They have pretty good running backs. So I'm I'm taking UVA for one game to let the hype train kind of run its course. And then after that, reevaluating is probably the best way I could put it. <laughs> yeah, I think UVA is the better team. And when it's two and a half points, it's hard not to just take what you think is the better team. And... Pitt, I I keep wanting to hate them. I just like BC, they lost a lot of important men who you wouldn't necessarily know the name of, like their fullback Aston. Like that's a huge loss for them, but it's not something that's going to come up on a national podcast. I'm taking UVA. I don't like it, but I think that they will ultimately get the win. Next game, South Carolina versus UNC. This game is in Charlotte. Again, the Lions week one are moving. It was eight when I sent it to you. It's now 10 points. South Carolina is favored by 10 points. And guess what? I'm taking the Gamecocks. <laughs> you're taking it? Oh, man. Now you're making me worried. Um, yeah, it, it was from eight when you sent it to me. It's already moved to 10. The lines are, I feel like the lines are moving fast uh, this year, but I guess more people are gambling. And now maybe we- it's week one. I don't, I don't always remember, but I, it could just be week one. It could be some weird matchups. I don't know. Yeah. So believe me, I don't have any trust in Mac Brown. I have trust in his assistance. And I also have trust in some of the talent they've brought in, but it's young talent, right? Like that's going to take a Very while. To, it's going to have to take a while to show up on the field. But 10 points is a lot. And I'm I'm stupidly, I guess, taking UNC here. No, By no chance do I think they can win. And counter to my point, USC, I think, has a pretty tough schedule this year. So this is a pretty big win for them if they want to put something together that's halfway decent. So... Um, oh, yeah, they need this one. Yeah, they, they definitely need this win. Do I think I, I think he can keep it within, you know, yeah, within ten points. That's basically all I'm banking on. And whether it's renewed energy or whatever you want to call it, uh, within the program, I'm that's basically what I'm riding on. You're riding Chaz Surratt to have ten tackles at linebacker, his new position. <laughs> yes, yes, that's that's it. That's it. I'm I'm banking on Tavian, please, <laughs> because he chose South Carolina. And yeah, no, I, I waffled on this a bit. At eight, I felt good about South Carolina. Ten, not so good, but I'm still taking them. Next game, this is probably the biggest of the weekend. That's Oregon against Auburn. Oregon's number 11, Auburn's number 16. I believe this one's in Jerry World. And Auburn is three and a half point favorites. Robbie, who you got? This game's this game's crazy. I mean, it's by far the best matchup of of week one, which is pretty exciting. Um, you got the pack versus the SEC. It's it's going to be very interesting. I hate that it's neutral site. I wish this was like a home and home or something along those lines. If it was home and home, I would be really excited about it. I Auburn's defensive line has been getting 
praise isn't even the word for what they've been getting in the offseason. It's been like, this is one of the best defensive lines in the entire country. Uh, Oregon's offensive line has been getting, I think, almost equally as much praise. They're massive from from everything I've recalled from listening to podcasts. So I think this could be um, a really interesting matchup. I went against my gut, and I went Auburn here to cover the three and a half. I don't know exactly why. I, 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 the Oregon offense is supposed to be very potent. They're supposed to be very good. They have a great quarterback. But I need to see it first. And whenever I got to see it first, I'm more confident in the defense than I am in the offense. The offense, I always feel like it takes more time to click. The defense, um, typically, and I'm saying typically, is is ready to go earlier on in the season. So when it comes down to those two matchups, then I got to go with the the defense. So I'm going Auburn. Not that I'm a believer in Auburn, but I I think that um I think they're going to get it. I like Oregon. Um not a lot, a lot, but Hey Bear and the offensive line is very experienced. They they've got the better quarterback. They've They've got one of the best offensive lines in the country, and I feel good about Mario Cristobal too. And Oregon seems to always lose these big matchups against SEC teams, but I think they're going to get this one. So last two games, we'll pick these, and let's go quick here yeah. uh, just because it's Boise State, Florida State. Strange matchup, first of all. It's playing in Jacksonville. Uh, I'm going to go Boise State. Uh, Florida State is a four and a half point favorite. It was five and a half, moved to four and a half. I kind of want to take Florida State because they're so much more talented, but Boise always seems to mess people up, especially early in the year. And we were talking earlier about how much their fans travel to DC when when uh Tech and them played. So I think they'll have a lot of fans down in Jacksonville as well. I'm gonna take Boise. I'm taking Boise as well. The FSU's offensive line will be better. It has to be better because it couldn't get any worse than it was last year, but it's going to take a little bit longer than just one season. And then the first game in the next year. Yeah. And the last game is old miss playing Memphis. And these teams play a lot. Uh, Fuente was part of these games back in the day. Memphis is a five and a half point favorite. And I guess old miss is on the road in this one. I like Ole Miss just because they're so much more talented. I know this is this is the opposite of my Boise State pick because really Memphis is the better coach, better team, but I just think Ole Miss will be able to keep it within five and a half. What do you got? I got Memphis. Uh, that offense okay. is extremely has been and ever since Puente's been there, uh, been extremely potent, and I'm not sure that Ole Miss is gonna. I don't know if they're ready to get into, um, you know, this level of uh, of scoring that Boise is about to put out on the field. So we went opposite on three and picked the same on three in that one. Yep. And these, unfortunately, will not be part of the picks. Like we said, starts week two of the college football season on our pick'em on CBS. Sorry about the miscommunication there, but it will be fun once it gets going in week two. For now, me and Robbie will keep the notes on these just if we need a tiebreaker between the two of us later in the year. (laughs) But yeah, we both like VT to cover that four and a half. Man, I hope we cover, especially since I'm going up there. I'd really prefer not to lose, but I've been telling my wife and I've been telling myself, like, we can lose the game. If we lose the game, I will not be... Terrible to be around the entire weekend. I Good promise. Luck with that. <laughs> that never works out. I've, I've I'm said, really I've trying said that this before. year. I'm really trying this year, man. But now I, I feel good about the game. I really do. And unfortunately, BC feels the exact same way. Like from everything I've read, their players, their coaches, their media, they, the guys who have been on other podcasts, like talking about the preview for the game. They all feel pretty good about BC's prospects this year. And um I just don't see it. I, I like Bill Connolly, think they're going six and six at best. Yeah, I, I just I, I there's there's a lot riding on this game for Virginia Tech in, in more ways than just the game, the culture, everything. Like if you can't show up for this game, what game are you gonna show up for? 
because there's a lot to prove. I mean, there's an SI article. I, there's just so much to show that, hey, we're a cohesive unit and we can go out and we can play good football. We're not going to be world beaters, but we're going to play good football. Yeah. They beat us by 10 last year with a much more veteran team. We should beat them by 10 this year with a much more veteran team. You know, they they were in our house this year. Last year, we're going to their house this year. I just, I think it's that simple, but... We will find out in a couple days, and finally, we will have some real football to analyze and talk about next week on the podcast, and I, I can't wait for that. <laughs> it's going to be a blast. Finally, just move past the offseason. All right, you can hit us on Twitter. It's at 2DVT, Instagram at 2DVT as well, 2DVT at gmail.com. Rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. Check out our website, 2DVT.com. We'll be updating our beers. I don't know if Robbie's been going to be keeping stats this year or not, um, but we will be putting up uh, our own picks, and or maybe we'll keep track of them on the pick'em. Whatever's easier for Robbie, because I know it's been a ton of work for you to do the stats and the picks in all the last couple of years. We'll keep doing it. Um, all right. And until next time, when hopefully we're victorious over Boston College, go Hokies. Go Hokies.